The scripture reading this morning, church, comes from Genesis 28, verses 10 to 22. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what you have promised, what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took a stone, the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. When Jacob made a vow, then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Feels like someone stacked the deck with all these Eagle fans up here. Uh, today. Happy, uh, by the way, happy Lunar New Year to those of you who celebrate that. And um, I think it's also appropriate uh, in, in light of that, uh, having significance for Asian Americans um, in this country and in this, in this church, also important to acknowledge uh, the mass shooting uh, that happened last night in Monterey Park, California, predominantly Asian American communities. Details still rolling out but fears, of course, among Asian Americans that it was a racially targeted uh, attack. Nonetheless, still grievous for that community um, and for the Asian American community at large. So I want to acknowledge that and to pray also uh, with you over time uh, through those kinds of travails. So grace to all of you. We're continuing right now in our study of the life of Jacob the great and greatly flawed Old Testament patriarch found in the book of Genesis. And today we're looking at another well-known episode in his life. And so let's bow our heads and pray as we look at God's word. Father, we are desperate for you. Um, we live in a broken, sin-torn an even violent world, we say, as we even acknowledge violence on the other side of the country, Monterey Park, we pray your mercy upon that community 
and as the investigation continues, actually the hunt for the suspect continues. So Jesus, we are looking to you for hope, for life, uh, not, not just for a little dose of spirituality. We, we need a rescue. Uh, we need a Savior. So show us yourself as Savior, as King, and be present with us, God of all presence, and speak to our hearts now, please. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You ever think you're all alone, but then you discover that actually you're not? Ever happened to you? Recently, I, I came out of the shower into my bedroom and was about to begin changing, only to spin around and realize there was my six-year-old daughter standing there kind of giggling. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> and uh, didn't see her. I don't mind her being there, but I was taken aback and was surprised. And she, of course, said, Daddy, did you think I wasn't there? And I said, no, I didn't know that. Don't do that. <laughs> Lots of fun. Thinking... <laughs> Thinking you're all alone, discovering you're not. Jacob, Jacob here was all alone. Well, so he thought. And that's the point of the passage. God was with him. He always was. God showed up even when Jacob least expected it. God was right there when Jacob thought God was nowhere. And it's the same for us. Maybe you're not really looking for God right now. Maybe you identify as one who doesn't believe in God, or if you believe in nothing in particular. Or maybe you yourself are in a season of hardship or isolation, wondering where God is in it all. You feel alone. And then, and then maybe, you have an unexpected encounter with God. God in his love shows up. God gently interrupts, breaks in. And maybe you find yourself concluding, just like Jacob did in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. I thought I was all alone. I thought I was all alone in this universe, in this pain, but God is here with me. So this is a story about the surprising and surprisingly near presence of God. The first thing we learn about in this story is the surprise of God's presence, the surprise of God's presence. God catches Jacob off God. He wasn't looking for God. God came looking for him. And that's the testimony of many of you. The last thing Jacob expected to bump into that night was God. You say, why? Three reasons. Number one, his sinfulness. Verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. See, Beersheba was his home. Haran was where his mother's brother Laban was. He was told to go out there and settle there hundreds of miles away. Jacob was on the run. 
And if you've been tracking this story together with us over the last couple of weeks, you understand why. Because he was on a most wanted list. He had a death wish hanging over him, and it was issued by his own brother. Jacob took advantage of his brother in their early years, stole his birthright, his inheritance, took advantage of his brother's weakness. Then later in their years, stole the blessing of his father upon his brother, scheming, deceiving, even betraying members of his own family. Not a good dude, not by nature. So his brother Esau vowed to kill him. Jacob was now on the run and Jacob now runs into the God who would meet him and who would love him. God loved the dude with a shady past. As Psalm 103.10 says, God does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Every part of this passage shows God speaking to uh, Jacob with words of grace coming towards him, drawing near to him. Yes, him, the selfish sinner that Jacob was, the scheming grasper, the deceiver, the self-centered being that Jacob was. Every part of this passage just shouts aloud with joy the grace of God, the undeserved kindness and compassion of God. Has that surprised you lately? That God would treat you, a sinner, with such gentleness, with such love. You have not truly encountered the God of the Bible until you have been stunned and even scandalized by his grace. Who am I that you would come near to me so? His sinfulness, Jacob's, is a reason for the surprise of God's presence. So is his desperation. Verse 11, taking one of the stones there, as he is traveling, running away, Jacob put it under his head and lay down to sleep. This is a pitiful picture. Jacob is traveling through the night. Now he's about 55 miles away from home. He's got nowhere to sleep. And so he takes of all things a rock, a stone, and lays down on it as his pillow. Very sad. And it points to the fact that Jacob has lost everything. Let me put a finer point on it. Jacob has given up everything because of his selfish ambition. He left everything that's familiar, that's secure, everything that's home. Some of you feel like that today. He's actually maybe even well described as an exile. He's without house and home, now without family, without any certainty about what comes next. By the end of the story, we see Jacob promising to return home with God's help, but that's going to be 20 years later down the road. Jacob wagered everything to gain everything. He wanted it all, and now he's left with nothing. Nothing. His head lying on a rock as a pillow in the open air. Desperate, desolate, and alone. And that is the condition that Jacob is in when God shows up. Not only Jacob the sinner, but Jacob the desperate man at his lowest point in his life. 
And, and, and maybe some of you feel like you're heading in that way. Maybe you've been there in that pit. Uh, maybe some version of it. Maybe it's not the lowest of the low, but it feels like it could go there. Like when you've get, gotten the notice that you've been laid off. Or, or you've lost a relationship where the doctor discovers a, a tumor on the CT scan. I mean, forget stairway to heaven. It feels like you're on an elevator to the pit of hell. But what you have to notice in this passage, it's when Jacob is at his most desperate that God shows his presence. And that's not by accident. God will often show up, speak to you, change you, shine the light of his love in a piercing, soothing, powerful way. God will often show up most when you feel desperate, weak, and lost. Are you ready for it? We, in our mindset, especially in the Western prosperous world, tend to attach well-doing and well-being together with spirituality. We think, if I feel good about how things are going, that's when God must be near, and it's just not true, not in the Christian faith. It's when you're at the lowest place that God drops everything to come near to you to pick you up. It's when you feel most beggarly, when you feel like you've got nothing, that God fills your arms with his love, with himself. God will often show up most when you feel most desperate, weak, and lost. Commentator Joyce Baldwin writes this, It was at his low point when Jacob had no human prop and was most aware of his need of protection and guidance that the Lord revealed himself to undeserving Jacob. It's for this reason that I think we can even talk about Jacob's low condition just sort of being like at the end of himself almost as a gift, a gift of desolation. Christian maturity means learning to see hard times as an open door, as a time of opportunity and possibility for God's grace to pour into your life. Don't be in too much, I know it hurts, but don't be in too much of a hurry just to get out from off your knees. God loves to meet you there with his gift of desolation. Thirdly, we find not only the surprise of God's presence showing up in light of Jacob's sinfulness and in light of his desperation, but also in light of his location. This is what makes this a surprise as well. By the end of the story, verse 19, Jacob renames this place where God showed up Bethel, which means the house of God. He says, look, this place, this is where God showed up, the house of God, Bethel. But before he renames it, before that point, all throughout this passage, that place is just referred to generically as a certain place, verse 11. This place, verse 16. This place, verse 17. Actually, it's unusual how many times the word place is named in this passage, and it's almost highlighting the fact that it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. Nothing special. Nowhere is where God showed up. See, it wasn't when Jacob went to church on Sunday that God penetrated his heart and his life in this way. It wasn't when Jacob went off on a retreat. It wasn't 
at a mountaintop. And it's not that God doesn't certainly appear to us and speak to us and, and minister to us in those kinds of settings, but the point is it's not just in those settings. Here is Jacob with this life-changing dream and encounter with God in this ordinary, nameless, random spot. In other words, are you ready for God on the metro? Are you ready for him to sort of maybe shake up your mind and heart and pour his love into you in a powerful way in the counseling room, with a therapist, in the kitchen, maybe even in your workplace, in the chaos of life, in the normal boring things of life? Do you have eyes to see and hearts that are ready to receive God's big moment for you? in the ordinary things of life. God gives us what Joyce Baldwin calls a newly aroused spiritual consciousness. That means that you can begin to see that God's house, Bethel, can actually be everywhere and anywhere. Do you have new expectations of the way that God might break into your life with his grace, teach you something new, help you to see his love or his people, or your neighbor in a new way at any given moment on any given day. God changes our expectations. Here's the surprise. God is right there, present with Jacob, sinful Jacob, desperate Jacob, in the middle of nowhere, Jacob. Surprise, God is here. Commentator Derek Kidner puts it this way, this is a supreme display of divine grace. Jacob wasn't seeking God, yet God came out to meet him, taking Jacob wholly by surprise. As we read, God shows up in a dream. And what's the dream? It's the dream of the biggest staircase you could possibly imagine. It, it started down from ground level on earth, and it reached all the way up to the heights of heaven, the passage tells us. The biggest stairway you've ever seen. It's something like probably what we imagine and know that Mesopotamian ziggurats probably look like. These large pyramid-like structures, these temples that had many, many, many steps that went all the way up into the sky. In fact, we believe that the Tower of Babel from Genesis chapter 11 was probably one such ziggurat. Uh, something like this that Jacob saw. And we're told that the bottom rested on the earth, the top reached up to heaven, and up and down on it, there were angels traveling up and down this cosmic stairway, ascending and descending on it. Angels, of course, would have signified God's personal presence coming down upon Jacob. And then we're told there, at the top of the stairway, perhaps, the Lord himself. The text says above the stairway, above it, that could also be, it's not totally clear, beside him. Either way, God himself was either about to come down or had already come down, and he's there with Jacob personally speaking to him. And this brings us to our second point, the promise of God's presence. 
the surprise of God's presence, the promise of God's presence. When God opens his mouth, did you notice? I mean, what did you expect? Not a single word of rebuke or condemnation can be found. After all that Jacob had done, you would almost expect God to show up and be like, man, Jacob, you wretched sinner. Like, what are you doing? Come on, right? Only words of kindness, only words of God's commitment to Jacob. Again, Kidner writes this, There was no word of scolding or demand, only a stream of assurances. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Here God is reaffirming and renewing his covenant that he made with Abraham, Genesis 12, and also with Isaac, Jacob's father. And there are different parts to what God says. A promise around the land. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Promise of descendants. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. Dust meaning countless, innumerable descendants everywhere. And a promise of mission. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. If you paid attention there, God is actually offering to Jacob everything that he needs personally. See, he was leaving his father's house. But it was the God of his fathers that was speaking to him, still connected to his ancestry. Jacob had no shelter, but God promised to give him this land. Here's a home for you. He had no future, it seemed, And yet God spoke of numerous descendants coming from him. Jacob felt his life was suddenly directionless, but God reassures him that he's part of God's purpose for all generations and for the whole entire world. A loaded promise, a layered promise, but notice two things especially. The way that God speaks, I I, I, he's obligating himself. God is the primary actor here. And he says, I will, I will, I will. God is a promise-making God. This is what distinguishes the God of the Bible from the vision of God proposed in every other religious system and the one that we tend to default to in our hearts. You know, the God who's sort of tapping his foot, waiting for you to fulfill his demands. The God of only rules and commands. The God who demands that you please him, but who's impossible to please. Listen, the God of the Bible is a I will God, not a you must God, not primarily not primarily in his disposition towards you. His covenant is one of promise. God obligates himself to come through instead of waiting for you to come through. If he did that, you would never come through and you would never gain his promise. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Oh, this is sweet, guys. Listen to this. God's promising a couple things. His personal presence. I am with you. 
I'm with you. I will not leave you. Personal presence. Personal protection. I will watch over you wherever you go. And personal purpose. I'll bring you back to this land, and I'm going to do what I have promised you, making you a blessing to the whole world. Presence, protection, purpose. Someone here needs to hear that God promises those things to you too. God is with you. You might feel alone. You might feel like you have forfeited your right to be near to God, for God to bless you. You may feel like you have screwed things up too bad and you need to hear God say, Nuh-uh, I will be with you. I will be for you. I will watch over you. But God, I don't see you. I, I, everything feels like it's spinning out of control. I will watch over you. But God, it feels like I'm, I'm just directionless, like I'm going nowhere. I will bring you to where I want to bring you. And I will do what I promised I will do for you and in you. But God, I can see. I can't see what you're doing. God says, I never said anything about that. But I'm doing it. And I'm for you and not against you. And I will not leave you. And if you have any shadow of doubt, you need to know that God always comes through. As English preacher Charles Spurgeon put it, God never outpromised himself yet. You need to hear those words, God is with you. And you need to know that not only for yourself, but to know that that's also the message that you need to be bringing to those around you in your homes or in the neighborhood that you are walking with who are hurting. Sometimes we feel this pressure to bring to hurting people perfect words or we feel obligated personally to fix their problems for them. But really what they need to hear from you is God is with you. God is watching over you. You are not alone. God is present. God is near. And we know that, don't we? That God desires not just to pull us out of our problems or to make all the problems go away, but rather he assures us that he is with us in the pain and in the trenches. And this promise is even more sure for us than it ever was for Jacob. Do you know that? Because we now know that this promise of God's personal presence, of his protection, of his purpose. This promise from God, I will be with you, I will never leave you. This promise became a person. Which brings us to our third point. Not only the surprise of God's presence, and not only the promise of God's presence, but the person of God's presence. Do you know that in John chapter 1, verse 51 in the New Testament, Jesus, as he was beginning his ministry, he looked back on this very story and he spoke about it. He was starting to gather his disciples. In this moment, he was speaking to Nathaniel, and he pointed to this moment in Jacob's life as referring to himself. This is what Jesus says. Again, John chapter 1, verse 51. Very truly, I tell you, Nathaniel, you will see Heaven open, 
and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wait, the angels ascending and descending on the stairway? On the Son of Man. Jesus' famous favorite words to describe himself. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the stairway. I am the way to heaven. I am the very presence of God come near to you in your desolation, in your depravity, in your disconsolation. It's important to be clear here. Jesus is not saying, I am showing you the way to God here. Take these steps and walk up yourself. Remember the angels in Jacob's vision, his dream. They were coming down out of heaven. They were sent down. I think sometimes we read this passage and the phrasing here, and I think we get a little confused. We think stairway to heaven. I think that's Led Zeppelin's fault. I mean, really, stairway to heaven. But look, the Bible actually talks about a stairway from heaven, one that comes down. God himself showing up, ah, in flesh, as a human being, sympathetic to your weaknesses, living a life that you should have lived. Yes, even walking up them steps, living a life of love that you couldn't love or wouldn't love or could never love, Jesus loving in your place, then dying the death that you should have died for all the ways you failed to love, you and me, Jacob-like as we are, selfish, scheming, deceiving, lying, cheating, stealing, running. Jesus dying for our sins, paying our debt, and then offering to come near to us and give that salvation and life to us as a gift from heaven down to earth, from God right into your life. This is the grace of the gospel, the gift that God intends to give us, that does give to us in Christ. See, here's where Led Zeppelin was actually right. The tragedy of humanity is that we spend our days attempting to buy a stairway to heaven. That's the actual lyric of the song, right? Buying a stairway to heaven. That's what we think we're doing. Again, so much of humanity's efforts in our relation to God and so many other religions depict it this way, that it's our job to build and to climb a stairway from here up to God by our good moral deeds, by the sincerity of our hearts, by impressing and bargaining with God. The gospel of grace and the Christian faith is the only one that flips it upside down. That says God needed to come down. God did come down. God gives you a gift that you couldn't earn for yourself. That you couldn't buy for yourself. Jesus is the very presence of God. He opened heaven's gate to us and he came down. That's good news. This is what Jacob had begun to see. Jacob, who his whole life up till now was spent climbing and climbing and climbing. Maybe that's why God gave him a staircase 
as the picture by which he would communicate to Jacob's heart. Jacob, whose very name means grasping, grasping the ankle of his twin brother as they were born, grasping for more and more inheritance, authority, power, recognition, getting ahead. That's what was his operating system in his, his life. And here's God saying, no, Jacob, there's another way. Behold the person of God's presence, Jesus himself. Have you met him? Have you received him? Have you let him come down into your life? Have you surrendered to him, his grace, his love? Fourthly and lastly, let's consider the response to God's presence. So what do we do and how did Jacob respond to this revelation of God come down? We see it even better than he did, right? Because we see it in the person of Jesus. This is what that story was pointing to, that dream was pointing to, Christ himself one day coming. But how did Jacob respond? Three quick things in closing. Number one, awe. Did you see it? Verse 17. Jacob woke up from this dream and he said, ooh, that was so cool. No. He was terrified. He was afraid. Verse 17, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? That word awesome it comes from the same root word that means trembling. He was like, what just happened? Do you know God's love to such a richness and with such a personal sense of reality? Not just the idea of God's love, but that God of the universe really loves me to such a degree that it makes your heart tremble. Have you encountered God in a personal way so truly, so deeply, that that it makes you tremble with a, a sense of awe, of reverence, of joy, yes, and of worship? See, the proper response to God coming down personally with his presence is to be astonished that a God would love me so. Astonished by his grace. Astonished by his love. We're told early the next morning, Jacob took that pillow stone and he set it up as a a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Those are gestures of worship. He's building a memorial. He worship what we do every Sunday. What you do when you come to God personally is you, you are remembering. You're building memorials. You're remembering the goodness of God, what he has done for you. Remembering his promises and then standing before him in awe. It begins with awe. Not just knowledge. Not just knowing the facts. Not just going through the religious motions. But have you let it sink in, this good news, to such a degree that it explodes your heart with wonder? Ah, can't believe this. Have you gone there lately? Number two, commitment. Notice Jacob responds not only with awe, but then he starts to make a vow. Now, here's the truth. It's an imperfect vow. He kind of starts to sound calculating. Many commentators have noted this. Verse 20 He says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, 
so that I return safely to my father's household, in other words, if God actually comes through and the promises he's verbally made to me, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone I've set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. That sounds a little calculating, doesn't it? It sounds like Jacob is saying, look, I want proof. I want evidence that God's promises are actually fleshing out, and then I will commit myself to you completely. Listen, Jacob is a work in progress. He's got a way to go. We're going to be on this journey together with him. Highs and lows, all of them. He wasn't transformed overnight, and neither are you and me. God is working on us slowly. It's two steps forward, three steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. It's an up and down journey, but God hangs in there. He persists, and he never gives up. Jacob tries to respond faithfully. He comes up with something sort of half-baked, but he's on the right track, and it's this, that the right response to God's presence is not only awe, but also commitment. He's right about that, feeling like if God will come to me, I need to come to him. If God will show up in my life like this so graciously, then I need to give my life to him. I mean, he gets this. It's not only the devotion of his heart, but it's even a portion of his physical possessions. In other words, God, I'm going to give you all of my life. Which brings us to this question. If you believe that you have encountered the presence of God, have you given all yourself to him? Or rather, what are you holding back? Maybe it's who are you holding back? a relationship. Or maybe it's some corner of your life where you're like, God, I'll follow you in this way and I'll follow, but that part, don't you touch that. Or this part over here, I don't think your Bible could have said that. Have you given all of yourself because God has given all of himself to you? You may know the words of the old hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross, there's that wonderful line, love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You've loved me so much. Now can I respond with a giving up all of myself to you in reciprocal love? Thirdly and lastly, the right response to God's presence is not only awe, commitment. Thirdly, it's mission. We heard God say, I'm promising to be with you, Jacob. And part of this promise is that I'm going to make you and your descendants a blessing to the ends of the earth. Your descendants are going to be scattered everywhere and you're going to love and be my agents of this kingdom and you're going to serve and give yourselves to other people. Be a blessing even as you are blessed by me. See, a response to God's near presence is to become like him in generously giving your own presence to people around you. Gospel presence, kingdom presence, in the way that you heal the wounded, in the way that you love the lost, in the way that you befriend the friendless, in the way that you knock on doors and give yourself and bring people into your doors and seat them at your tables. You see, the, the mission of God that is the natural outflow of one that's been confronted by the love of God, that's been changed by the love of God. God, who's been present to you, now be present to those around you. All you, me too, who are desperate, 
desolate and depraved. Hey, the true stairway is here. God's presence is here in Christ. God is present. God is near to you in Christ. Believe. Let's pray. We pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes to see this, to be changed by this. Heal our hearts, lift us up, make us more like you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.